Welcome to Crossroads Life. Man, it is so good today. No matter where it is that you are watching, it is so good to be together. My name is Chris, one of the pastors here at Crossroads, and, and I just love this. I love this time where we can, even though we're scattered right now, we can gather and, and hear from God, where we can worship him, we can dig into his word, and we can see what he has for us, that he has something for each of us right now today. And that is my hope. And so as we get started today, would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this time. And no matter where we are at watching, God, we pray that you would meet us where we are. For those who are in a good place, for those who are in a a bad place, for those who are hurting right now, for those who are rejoicing, Father, for all of us, would you meet us where we are? God, we need you. We need you. So God, would you speak to us today? It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but man, I love it when I feel like my life is all together. I love it when everything is going right, where uh, when my finances are all in order, when my marriage is, 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 is just great, when, uh, when, when my kids are like perfectly well-behaved. I love when my life is, is just going right. And, and, and on the flip side of that, I hate it when nothing is going right, don't you? Uh, when everything seems to be falling apart, when, when my wife and I are arguing about something, or, or when finances take a turn and, and they're not working so well, or, or, or parenting is, don't even get me started on parenting, but, but you know what I'm talking about, like when, when life is not going well, man, that's the worst for me. Like, can it get any worse than when life's not going well? And actually, I think it can. And you might be thinking, well, what can be worse than, than my life falling apart? Well, well, here's what I think is worse, is, is when we think we have it all together, but actually we don't. That's worse. When we think everything's going well, when, when we sort of have our act together and things are just going well, that is worse. When it's really, really not. When I was in seminary, my very first semester... I thought, man, this is going to be a, a cakewalk. It's going to be easy. I was 25 years old, and, and I had already been through Bible college, and I thought, man, this is going to be easy. I'm going to take five credits, and I'm going to do uh, uh, just a, a really easy semester, sort of work my way into it. And I was in this biblical interpretation class uh, that every seminary student who goes through uh, Denver Seminary has to take. It's like the intro to intros for seminary, and, and it's biblical interpretation. And there I was in this class. And about two-thirds of the way through the semester or so, I walk into class that morning, and I sit down, and the, and the first thing the professor says is, all right, everyone, come up and turn in your papers. And the, all the 125 people or so in the class, everybody gets up at the same time, walks forward in a line, puts their paper on his desk, except for me. I was the only one out of the whole class that remained seated the entire time. And it was in that moment when I realized I don't have it together. This is bad. This 20-page paper was something like 70 or 80% of my entire grade for the semester. And so the whole class, I'm stressing out. Right that afternoon, I, I go to my professor's office, and I'm like just on the verge of losing it. And I go into his office, and I sit down, and I'm like, I don't know what to do because I haven't. It's not that I didn't turn in the paper. It's that I hadn't even started it 
didn't even occur to me to start this paper. And, and so there I am begging for mercy. And, and, and I had a couple of options. I could drop the class. Uh, however, it was too late in the semester to get credit for anything. So I'd actually have to take a failing grade. Or I could uh, work hard and turn in the paper late. But for every day I was late, I would lose uh, an entire grade off this paper. So there we decided. I called my wife, and I'm like, you know, freaking out a little bit. She, she calms me down. We decide I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and do it. And so there I spent the next three days in the Denver Seminary Library working on my inductive Bible study paper, uh, writing all these pages and, and, and just trying to, to, to pump this paper out as quickly as I could. And I finally got it done and I turned it in and I got my grade knocked down to a C. Um, but, but I learned my lesson. I realized that, man, nothing is worse than when you think you have it all together, but you actually don't. And the story that we're going to be looking at today in Luke chapter 7 has one person who thinks they have it all together and one person who knows that they don't. Now we're in this series where we're going through the book of Luke and, and the last couple of weeks, if, if maybe you've, you've missed it, we, we, the reason why we're going through this book right now and through this series is because we want to know what Jesus is like. And really we're asking this question, is Jesus worth taking seriously? Because if he is worth taking seriously, then there's huge implications for what that means for us. If he's, worth taking, if, if he's not worth taking seriously, then we can just sort of write him off and walk away. But if he is, there's huge implications. And our goal throughout this series is that we wouldn't just learn more about him necessarily, necessarily or, or learn stories about him, but that we would actually know him in a different way. And in so doing, that we would actually receive respond by following him. Why? Why is that important? Because following Jesus is, is the most deep down fulfilling and life-giving thing that any of us can ever do. And so over these last few weeks, we've, we've looked at this sermon that Jesus gave where he's talking about stuff that just sort of flips the entire kingdom upside down. He's talking about things that aren't natural for you and I. Things like, hey, love not only your friends, not only your family members, but love those who hate you. Your enemies, I want you to love them. And then he goes on and he says, I want you to forgive those who persecute you. I want you to forgive those who, are, who, are, who, are, uh, who wrong you. And also, if, if you have messy lives, that's okay, because guess what? There's a place for you in the kingdom. He was just flipping everything up on, on its head. And last week, we talked about this idea, this popular idea that, that we're not bad people. We're just good people who sometimes do bad things. And Jesus sort of flipped that up on its head. And, and we realized, man, I need him. I, I need him. So after this sermon where, where, where he's just sort of flipping everything upside down, uh, it, it goes into Luke chapter 7. And there's a lot that happens in Luke chapter 7 before we get to our text for today. He goes and he heals this servant boy of one of the Roman soldiers. And then after that, he goes to another town, and there's this woman who's experienced some incredible loss. She, she's, she's already lost her husband, and now she's lost her son. And here she is sort of stricken with grief and, and sorrow, and Jesus comes to her and has compassion on her, and he, and he, and he raises her son from the dead. 
I mean, just imagine the buzz that was going on around the countryside about Jesus. Just imagine what that was like. I mean, news began to travel like, hey, have you heard about this guy? He rose some dude from the grave. Like, what is going on? Who is this man called Jesus? And he's, and he's saying all these things that are kind of confusing us. And so people are wondering, like, is he the Messiah? Is he a prophet? Is he, uh, is he just some really crazy guy? Like, like, who is Jesus? And here we pick up in Luke chapter 7 where this man named Simon Simon is a religious leader, uh, and, and he, he's also known as a Pharisee. And, and it's almost like he's like, okay, guys, hold on. Everybody calm down. I'm going to find out who this Jesus guy is. I'm going to find out if, he's, if we should take him seriously. I'm, I'm going to find out if he's on our team or, or on a different team. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out. So I'm going to have him. I got an idea. I'm going to have him over for dinner, and, and we're just going to have a conversation. And so here we pick up. In Luke chapter 7, in verse 36, it says this, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, the hair of her head, and and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And so let me just stop right there for a moment and, and kind of recap what's happening. Simon invites Jesus over to his house. And it, and it wasn't uncommon back then that, that whenever someone who is high profile in their communities, uh, like Simon and also Jesus, who they've all been hearing about, are, are having dinner together, that everybody else in the town, this is kind of what they did on Friday nights. This is, they would go and they would just sort of eavesdrop. And, and culturally, this was expected and, and completely acceptable. So you can just imagine, like Simon and Jesus, and then later we learn that there's these others at the table, and then all these people, either right outside the room or right outside Simon's house, just sort of listening. What is Jesus going to say? What's he going to do? Is he going to do some amazing miracles? Is he going to say some more things that, that just sort of throw everything upside down? What is going to happen? And then all of a sudden, this woman, who's described as a sinful woman, a woman of the city, what this means is that most likely, and, and scholars, the majority of them agree, this is probably a, a prostitute, a woman who's a, who's a prostitute. Some say it's Mary Magdalene. Others say it's a different woman. Uh, we don't know for sure. Her name's not there. But, but this woman was, was a, a sinful woman. This was her reputation in her community. She was an outcast. She didn't belong anywhere. When she heard that Jesus was at Simon's house, She goes back to her house and gets this jar of ointment. And she runs back to Simon's house. She barges through the crowd and barges into the the, the room where Jesus was at. She was completely uninvited, completely unwelcomed. You see, the, the religious leader, Simon, would have never, ever invited this sinful woman to his house and vice versa. And so, so here this woman was standing And you can just imagine all the conversation stops. 
And all the eyes turn and they're looking at her. And in that moment, she begins to weep. She begins to weep and she begins to, after she starts weeping there on Jesus' feet, his feet were still dirty, we find out here in, in a moment. And, and because that, her, her tears were turning the dirt to mud. And so she, so she kneels down and she takes her hair down and she begins to clean his feet and then anoints them with oil. Let me ask you this question. We're not going to really dive into this question, but, but I want you to think about it. What about Jesus did this woman have to believe in order to do this? What is it about Jesus that this woman had to believe in order to, to push through the crowd, people giving her dirty looks like, hey, you don't belong here. What are you doing here? And then pushing her way into the room with, with gasps and, and, and people you know, talking badly about her. But there she was. What, what about Jesus did she have to believe in order to do this? I mean, just imagine that scene for a moment. Just imagine this messy awkward, tense, almost even completely inappropriate, yet at its core, it's this innocent and pure act of, of worship from this woman. Let's continue on in verse 39. It says this, Now when the Pharisee Simon, who had invited him, Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, he thought this. He said in his brain, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And here we see this incredible thing where, where I love this part. It says, Simon said to himself, you know, because they're trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is. So if he was a prophet, and I love this next line, Jesus answers him. Jesus is like, okay, I know what you're thinking. I'm going to prove to you who I am. Yes, I'm a prophet, but I'm not only a prophet. I'm just going to answer your question that you're thinking in your brain. He goes on in verse 40. Jesus answered him saying, uh, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered him, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss from the time I came in, yet she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Man, what a beautiful story. 
And here's the big idea of what Jesus is saying and what we're going to be talking about today. Here's the big idea is that big forgiveness equals big love. Big forgiveness equals big love. In other words, this is what that means. We can only love to the degree that we understand the depths of our sin and there experience his even deeper mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Let me say that again. We can only love, we can only love to the degree that we understand the depths of our sin, which we hate to go there. We, we hate to look at the depths of our sin, but at the same time, there experiences even deeper mercy, grace, and forgiveness. You see, here in this story, there's two people who have two completely different responses to Jesus. Simon was a religious leader. The woman was an outcast. Simon had influence and people followed him and, and the woman was hated by her community. Simon was good and he followed the law closely. She broke so many laws. Simon was self-reliant. The woman was desperate for help. Simon had nothing to gain from Jesus, but she had nothing to lose. He didn't see a need for forgiveness, yet she was aware of her, of her deep, deep need of forgiveness. He was interrogating and trying to trick Jesus. She was passionately worshiping Jesus. He did everything right except the one most important thing, and she did everything wrong except the one most important thing. You see, Simon thought he had it all together, but she knew that she didn't. She knew that she didn't. You see, what's worse than having it all together is thinking that you have it all together, but really you don't. You see here, Simon misses the entire point of Jesus's parable. The point wasn't that, that, that he that was in, less in debt than she was. That wasn't the point. Do you remember verse 42? Verse 42 says this. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Here's the kicker for Jesus' parable. Is that both of the people in this parable could not pay the debt. They were in the same boat. It didn't matter if it was just a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks. They were in the same boat. So what's the difference then between Simon and this woman? The woman, she knew that she couldn't pay. It was clear to her, man, I cannot pay my debt. I, I have sinned big. It's ultimately lost forever on her own power and ability to pay her debt. She could not do it. But Simon, on the other hand, he operated with this mindset that he didn't have a whole lot to pay. And if he did, if he ever did mess up, that really he could pick up the tab his own, on his, on his own. Why? Because of his pride and his self-righteousness. You see, the difference wasn't that Simon owed less, so he needed less for different, uh, forgiveness. The difference was that she knew she couldn't pay, and he didn't. And as a result, she experienced Jesus's grace in this sweet moment, but Simon, he didn't. Tim Keller defines grace this way. He says, grace is unmerited favor given by an unobligated giver. 
unmerited favor given by an unobligated giver. In other words, it's someone being let in somewhere where they don't deserve to be by someone who's not obligated to let them in. That's grace. And that's what this woman was experiencing, was Jesus's grace. And here's the deeper truth. You want to be close to God? You want to be close to God? It's not about getting your act together. Man, so many times this is how we, this is how we function. Is, uh, we say we believe in the grace of Jesus. We say we believe that we trust in him. Yet so much of the time we're, we're operating with this mindset that, that, man, I have to be moral and I have to be good and I have to overcome these things so that, and deep down inside we think, if I do this, then God's favor will be on me more. But instead... Here we see the answer, uh, the answer to deeper connection and closeness with Christ is big forgiveness. You see, it starts with radical self-reflection. What's really going on in there? What have you thought about this week? What's deep down in your heart that's maybe laying dormant that's, that's been there for a long, long time? You see, it starts with this radical self-reflection and introspection, seeing the, the grit and the grime in our hearts, deep down in our hearts. And it's then and only then that we can experience his life-changing love and grace. And you might be thinking, yeah, I should live a good and moral life. And I would say, absolutely, live a good and moral life. Make good decisions. But then at the end of the day, throw yourself at the mercy of Jesus because even on your best day, you don't have it together. Big forgiveness equals big love. The more we understand the depths of our own brokenness, the more we experience his deeper mercy grace and forgiveness. Now let me ask you this. In this story, who do you relate to the most? If you're honest for a moment, who do you relate to the most? Do you relate to Simon? Do you relate to the woman or do you relate to the onlookers? Maybe for some of us, we are here and, and we're just checking out what, what Jesus is like. Maybe you haven't made a decision like, yes, he's worth taking seriously or, or no, whatever. And, and you would say, hey, I'm an onlooker. I'm, I am watching and, and seeing what this is all about. And I would say to you, thank you for, for at least looking. Continue watching. Look at Jesus and see what he's like. Investigate him. For many of us, though, especially for those of us who are followers of Christ, my guess is that if we are honest, that oftentimes we would relate to, to Simon in this story. If we were honest, we would relate to Simon. There's a little bit of Simon in all of us. Let me just explain really quickly. What happens for most of us, including me, for most of us who have been following Christ, we, we've believed at one point and, and we've been following Christ that at one point we were there, we were on the floor with this woman and we realized for the first time the incredible mercies and grace of God. I mean, and there we were weeping, snot crying, I mean, completely losing it in front of Jesus. Do you remember that day? 
where you were well aware of your shortcomings. You were well aware of your need for him, throwing yourself on his mercy and accepting his love and forgiveness for the first time. Man, what a sweet, sweet moment. But then what happens is that our life starts turning around a little bit. Life starts going well. We start to overcome some some habits or addictions or, or we start to see some healing in our relationships. And what happens is we start to feel like, yeah, I, I kind of have it all together. And what starts to happen slowly and subtly is that we forget that day when, where we were weeping at the feet of Jesus and we grow callous. We start to gain some confidence and maybe a little bit of self-righteousness and pride mixed in there. We start to look down on other people who don't have it together. Man, I'm glad I'm not as bad as this guy. We begin to to pass off our sins as as little sins and and not that big a deal. And And we think, oh, I can pick up that tab. I'll just pay for that one. I'll just do better next time. I'll just give more money. I'll go serve more. I'll I'll punish myself. I'll trick myself in some way to to just not fall into that sin again. I'll use my own willpower to to do better. I mean, I live a pretty good and quiet life. I make good choices most of the time. I'm not doing much wrong. Uh, Yeah, I have sinned, but not any of the big ones. And we begin to buy the lie that we need Jesus less today than we did on that first day. And what happens is we slowly get up from the floor and we take our seat in Simon's chair. And from that place at the table, we miss out on exactly what we need most. You see, some of us today, we need to stop. We need to stop pretending. We need to stop thinking that we have it all together. We need to stop thinking that we're way better than we actually are. We need to look inside of ourselves and realize our own brokenness and realize our need for him. And we need to get out of our self-righteous seats and back to that humble spot on the floor. And the good news is that that spot is always open. For those of you who are onlookers, especially if you know today that you don't have it all together. My invitation to you is this, is bring it all. Bring all of your crap, all of your junk, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and come to him realizing that, that yeah, I have lots to be forgiven for, but the good news is that big forgiveness equals big love. Because the message of the gospel is not that our sin and our brokenness and our messy lives keep us from the presence of Jesus. Instead, the message of the gospel is that our sinfulness is a prerequisite for being close with Jesus. Because when we taste the rich depths of his grace and mercy, and that's, that's when we experience true life and true intimacy with him. You see, the only logical response to this news, this news that seems too good to be true, is to simply respond by falling at the feet of Jesus, just like this woman did, crying our hearts out in gratitude and in worship. And that's what we're going to remember today when we take communion, when we go to the Lord's table, when we remember his sacrifice, that without it we would be completely lost. Would you pray with me?
Jesus, today we come to you and we confess that we need you, God. God, when we stop and when we're honest about it, we, we know that we, God, that we are broken, that we are sinful, that even on our best days, we don't have it together. And Father, I'm thankful that the story doesn't end there, that while we were sinners, your word says, while we were enemies of yours, that you came running toward us in order to rescue us. And by rescuing us, in order to rescue us, you sent your own son to die for enemies. God, we come before you today and we thank you. We thank you for your grace. God, in your mercy, your forgiveness. Thank you for making a way. For those who are far from you right now, my prayer, God, is that they would draw in close and that they would experience your tender, loving kindness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.